And while you're being seated, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's take a pop quiz. You want to? Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Some of you had heart palpitations right there. Because you remember what it was like in college or in high school to uh, be told that. I do want to take a little bit of an informal quiz, though. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put up on the screen just a couple of, um, of emblems, of symbols, and we're going to see if you can guess what they are from the periodic table, okay? So what's this first one? It's O. Hey, look at that. Oxygen, right. What about this one? Hydrogen. Wow, you are. You're doing good. All right. What about this one? Carbon. Wow, y'all know this stuff a lot better than I ever would. Now, first... Don't get me wrong. The first couple are pretty easy, okay? What about this one, though? Oh, wow. Who was, uh, yeah, somebody over here. <laughs> uh, a nurse would have, yeah. All right, what about this one? What is it? Lead. Now, I got a question here. Because I searched the periodic table, and I could not figure out why in the world they went with PB for lead because L-E is not taken anywhere. So if they really wanted to set people up for success in remembering these things, it seems like they should have gone with the L-E. But anyway, y'all know what these things are. They're the elements of the periodic table, and, and these are different components to life that are absolutely necessary in order for life to happen. You and I wouldn't be here today unless these elements from the periodic table are in existence. The periodic table organizes all of that in a way that we can easily understand. And what we're doing here for five weeks, and we're in our fourth week this week, is we're looking at what are the essential parts of church life. So when we think about what it is that's absolutely essential for church life to take place successfully, what are those components that are needed? Now, like I said the first week, these are not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but these are ones that are crucial and the ones that we're talking about for a few, for a few weeks. The first week we talked about the gospel and, and preaching the gospel. The second week was evangelism. Last week we looked at discipleship. Today we're looking at church membership. So you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 27 to see Paul's teaching here, and he's teaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching on and to the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Father, would you guide our time in your word? Father, we don't want to read into it any more than you meant for us to, but we also don't want to miss anything that you left for us. Father, this is a big topic today with a lot that I believe needs to be covered. So, Father, in these moments, I pray that you give clarity and you give wisdom and that, Father, in all of it, the Holy Spirit has free reign to work in any way he sees fit. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we jump into this today, I want to say first that, um, that there is no command in Scripture that explicitly commands us to be covenant members of a church. It's not like there's a verse with an 11th commandment that says, thou shalt organize and structure your church with, church, with a church membership model. You're not going to find anything like that. But what you do find all throughout the New Testament is this idea, this permeating idea of joining yourself in a covenant relationship to a local church and that it is good and that it is necessary. I think you're going to see that as we work through this topic today. Now, the passage that we just read is Paul outlining for the church in Corinth what it means for the body of Christ to function well together. This isn't the only time that he preaches about the body of Christ in this way. He also does so in Romans chapter 12, but I believe it's one of the most clear, so that's why I pointed us to it here this morning. Paul uses the analogy of the human body to describe the local church. Some people are an eye, some people are an ear, some people a finger, some a hand, some a foot. One member of the body cannot say to another member, um, I have no need of you, because it's God who puts the body together. He is the one who supernaturally orchestrates who is in the body of Christ. It is not me, it's not you, it's not anybody else. He is the one that does that. Every single member has a role to play. He even says that parts that are often considered the weakest parts are indispensable. Did y'all catch that as we read through that in verse 22? The weakest parts are indispensable. So it doesn't matter what you think you bring to the table or how little you think you bring to the table. God's word says that you are indispensable to the body of Christ. If one member suffers, the whole body suffers. We are individual Christians and we respond, we we are accountable to God individually. But we are joined together by the gospel of Jesus Christ and through his supernatural unifying plan. Verses 12 and 13, I'm going to read those once again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Everybody, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your ethnicity is, all of it, all were baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So when you became a Christian... One of the things that automatically took place right off the bat is what we call the the baptism of the Spirit. Spirit baptism is different from water baptism. Spirit baptism takes place at the moment of salvation when the Holy Spirit indwells the new believer. 
When that baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, that new believer is a part of the body of Christ. And God knits the heart of the new believer with the church of Jesus Christ. And that, that new believer may or may not join a church right away. They can. They don't necessarily always do right away. But from the very beginning, there is a drive and there's a desire to, be, to become a part of the local expression of Jesus' church. That is why when a person becomes a Christian, it's so important for them to be connected right away to a local church. There's a drive, there's a pull for them to do so. Mark Dever is a pastor and an author in Washington, D.C., and he writes in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He says this. He says, according to the New Testament, the church is primarily a body of people who profess and give evidence that they have been saved by God's grace alone, for his glory alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is what a, this is what a New Testament church is. It is not a building. And then to summarize what he continued to say, I'll simply say, it is a collection of redeemed people. It is not a building. It is a collection of redeemed people. So if that's what a church is, and Salem agrees, by the way, with this, then what is it that this collection of redeemed people who make up the church, what is it that they do? Well, first of all, and this is where you could jump in on your handout on the back, you can start filling in blanks here. First of all, the members of the local church receive instruction from God's word. They receive instruction from God's word. We get our marching orders from the Bible. Members of the local church gather together and we're sharpened and we are built up and we are encouraged from God's word. We believe that there is power and there is divine inspiration and instruction in the Word of God, and that's why we use it as our guide. So first of all, we receive instruction from God's Word. Secondly, we serve and we edify each other. We serve and we edify each other. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11 has this to say. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, I want you to catch this. Why, why does all this happen? Why do we serve each other? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We serve God for the good of other people, both in the church and outside the church, but we do it ultimately for the glory of God. I also think about Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but then catch this, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as you go about your week, as you're doing good everywhere you go, with, with everybody that you talk with, there is to be something special about the way that you treat your fellow church members. Serve and edify each other. The members of the local church also participate together in the ordinances. They participate in the ordinances. We believe that there's two ordinances. There's the Lord's Supper and believer's baptism. These are commands that we have from the Lord that we are to continue all throughout the church age. Church members are to engage in these things together. We celebrate together when believers are baptized. We partake together in the Lord's table in which we remember the sacrifice that secured our salvation where Jesus died on the cross and his blood was poured out, his body was broken on our behalf. So we participate in the ordinances. Next, we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. Mark chapter 16, Jesus commands his disciples and 
by default, because we are his disciples to the church today, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's Jesus' words. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. There shouldn't be a living thing on this earth that doesn't hear the good news of Jesus. And we are the, the conduits with which and, uh, that happens. Psalm 96.3 is up on the screen for you. Declare his glory among the nations. It continues, his marvelous works among all the people. Shout it, declare his glory. Make known his glory. If Jesus has done great things in us and in saving us, he has done a great thing in us. Then we are to share that with everybody that we can. So that's a few things that the church members do. When they join together to make a church, that is what they do. But here's another question for us today. Why church membership? Why church membership? Beyond what we've already talked about, why would I join myself to a local church? Well, first of all, membership displays distinction. Membership displays distinction. Being a member of a local church is one of the ways that the world knows who belongs to and represents Jesus. It's not the only way that the distinction is made between those who are redeemed and those who are not, but it's one of the biggest ways. When you align yourself to a gospel-centered church, you are making the statement to the world around you that you are a Christian, and thereby you are distinct. It's not that you're better than everybody else is. You're in the world, you're just not of the world. You belong to a different kingdom. Membership displays distinction. Number two, membership gives purpose. It gives purpose. We talked earlier about the, the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we see that all the, the different ways the body works together. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a responsibility. One is not more important than the other. They all work together because God is the one that ordained it. He's the one that orchestrated it. Every single church member, every single part of the body of Christ has a role and a responsibility to play out. You've been given spiritual gifts and talents by God that's to be played out in the church. Membership brings purpose. It's not just you telling the church that you want to be engaged with them. It's telling yourself that you want to be engaged with that church and then taking action in that. And as you take action, what you're going to find is more and more purpose. I've got purpose, not only in life, but in my church, in the kingdom of God. A lot of people wonder what their purpose is. And we believe that all of mankind's overarching purpose is to glorify God. But one of the ways a Christian glorifies God is by being a member of a local church. It's that covenant commitment that you make to the church that gives you purpose. Next, membership shows commitment. It shows commitment. We live in a world in which commitment is, um, is not something that isn't always practiced real well. When I first um, got my first cell phone back in um, a long time ago, when I was 16 years old, it came with a contract. I think it was like a three or four year contract. I had to, I had to be with Alltel. That's who it was, Alltel. Everybody remember Alltel? Had to be with Alltel for three or four years, something like that. There was a contract and you had to fulfill that contract. If you didn't fulfill the contract, then there was a major, major fee for not doing so. Well now, I could just drop out of a contract anytime I want to. Right? Just a picture of the commitment and, and the way that commitment has taken a turn. The way our culture views commitment. Local church membership is a commitment to live and believe a certain way. 
When you join yourself to the local church, you're saying that you're promising to be involved in and engaged in the ministries and the mission of that church. What if I said to my wife before we were married, honey, um, you know I already love you. I've told you I love you. But I can love you just as well without marrying you, so why don't we just keep it common law? Well, that's weak, isn't it? Why is it weak? Because it displays fear of commitment. A wedding ceremony publicizes and solemnizes the covenant commitment between a man and a wife. A local church membership publicizes and solemnizes the covenant commitment between a member and a church. And of course, it's not always as permanent as a marriage, but it is a covenant commitment. At the end of Acts chapter 2, when the new church is just forming, there was a commitment that these new Christians had to the success of the church that was radical. They were committed with everything inside of them. When you join a church, you're showing commitment. Membership also facilitates ministry. It facilitates ministry. So you're joining together with other believers in the context of the local church makes ministry happen. A few minutes ago, uh, Pastor Dwayne talked about Trunk or Treat and uh, how that's coming up, October the 30th. Well, last year, we had somewhere around 750 people or so who, who came to that. We had such a good time serving together. It was a blast. We were laughing together. We were sacrificially giving alongside each other. And it was all done through the joined efforts of the church as a whole. There's some people who couldn't come, but they donated candy. Some people put boxed meals together. Some people decorated their trunks. Some people gathered registration info so we could contact people later, those who came. We can contact them later. Membership facilitates ministry. It makes it happen. It displays for a watching world true redemption and unity when we join together in that way. Now, here's another question. What does membership look like? What does membership look like? So when you get right down to it, what are the expectations of church membership? Well, first of all, salvation and baptism. Salvation and baptism. Um, church membership is not just for anybody. It is specifically for believers. Anybody is welcome to attend. Absolutely anybody can come and join us here in this place and worship along with us. There's even some ways sometimes to be involved yet not a committed member yet. But you cannot be a member without first being a Christian. We also require baptism as a prerequisite for membership. A believer's baptism is a public declaration that you are a Christian. It's telling the world that you are identifying yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have repented of your sins. You've given your life to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter's wrapping up that sermon on the day of Pentecost, the people responded to the gospel with repentance. Then they were baptized and they're added to the church. Each one of those are sequential events. So first, church membership requires salvation and baptism. Second, it requires a sacrificial attitude. A sacrificial attitude. Sacrificial attitude says, my church, other people are more important than I am. What are some of the things that you might have to sacrifice in your membership to a church? Well, I think about money. You work hard for that money, don't you? You go to a place in which you give of yourself, you're paid in return. But folks, it's important for a church member to tithe. We believe that God's mission is funded by God's people. 
A commitment to join the church means a commitment to give of your finances. What about time? You might be asked to sacrifice your time. Time is precious. But time given to the church as a church member is expected. And there's always things to be done. I mean, shoot, this is a great big auditorium that can be vacuumed sometimes. Our cleaning guys would love for you to come vacuum sometimes. We've got hedges that can be trimmed. We've got mission houses that are being renovated. People to encourage. You don't have to come to this property to encourage people. There's so many ways in which you can give of your time to be a faithful church member. The list can go on and on and on of those ways that you can be involved. And to this, I would just very simply ask, what is your heart posture when it comes to your church? Is it one of, look at me, look at how important I am. I have this position. I am a trustee. I am a deacon. I am on the camp committee. I am involved in this. I am this. Or is your heart posture one of, man, my church is more important than I am. God's kingdom is more important than I am. Sacrificial attitude. Here's another one. Presence in meetings and gatherings. Your presence in meetings and gatherings. There is no replacement for physical attendance. No replacement whatsoever. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 is a verse that's taken, I think, out of context a lot of times. But it absolutely, absolutely speaks to this. Where the writer of Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as the end of the world is coming sometime in the future, we don't know when, more and more and more as this urgency builds, encourage one another, meet together. Don't neglect, don't neglect to meet together. The, the, the emphasis is on together we got church members who watch our services weekly who are never able to attend for health reasons. we got others who are perfectly healthy but, but consider physical attendance an option and instead choose sleep or other activities over attendance. Some people are perfectly capable of attending regularly, but they choose instead to simply watch the service online or, or uh, rather than attend regularly. You might say, well, pastor, <clears throat> you live stream the services. What do you expect is going to happen? Well, this is a great opportunity for me to explain just for a moment the purpose of our live stream. Number one, it is there to provide home or medically bound um, church members a, a level of continued connection to our Salem family. They can't get here. There's no way for them to get here physically. So they can watch online, and you have no idea how much of a blessing that is to them. Secondly, <clears throat> it's there to provide church members who may be away from church. So missionaries, um, Maybe you're on vacation or whatever. You're something, somehow you can't be here, but you can still stay connected. I can't begin to tell you how many missionaries reach out to me and they watch our services weekly. If they can't watch it in the moment, they go back and watch it later. It helps them feel connected to our church. But then number three, it gives those actively looking for a church a way to see what our church is all about. Most people who come here to visit for the first time have watched our service at least one time, with many of them watching as many as three to five times before they actually set foot in our auditorium. It's a ministry that we have, the one that I'm thankful for. But there is no replacement whatsoever for physical attendance. There is nothing, I've had to do it before, sitting at home watching the service. There is nothing like sitting right up here and hearing your voices singing behind me, lifting up praises to God. There's nothing at all like that. Nothing like being able to shake hands with you and, and, and greet you. 
Church membership also means essential agreement with beliefs. Essential agreement with beliefs. And I use the word essential there because I know that not every single person is going to agree with everyone else on secondary doctrinal issues. But we had better agree on primary doctrinal issues. Things like exclusive substitutionary death of Jesus, the physical resurrection of Jesus, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Those are essentials that we have got to agree upon before we join together in covenant membership. There's also submission to leadership. And next Sunday, this is actually the topic for next Sunday. Not necessarily submission, but church leadership in general. We're going to talk about this, but very briefly, I'll tell you that I know that one day I'm going to give an account for how our pastors lead this church. It's not something that's taken lightly. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is, is, is speaking, and really this is his farewell sermon, and he gives it. He says, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. It's a serious thing. It's a really serious thing. And biblical submission to leadership is a serious thing. We're going to talk more about that next week. And then lastly, there is participation in the mission. Participation in the mission. John MacArthur, in writing an article back in 2006, writes this. He says, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Practically, the worst thing any churchgoer can do is be a hearer but not a doer. And he refers to James chapter 1 there. Christ himself pronounced doom on religious people who want to be mere bystanders. From Matthew chapter 7. Every believer is called to be a minister of some sort, with each of us using the unique gifts given us by God for the edification of the whole church. How many of you recognize the name Dizzy Dean? Dizzy Dean. He was a pitcher, major league pitcher back in, um, back in the 1930s, Hall of Fame career, but it was a really short career. In 1934, which was his stellar year, that was his greatest year, um, he won 30 games that year as a pitcher. And it's a feat that hasn't been repeated in the National League since. Dizzy, the next year, came close with 28 games won. But just a couple of years later, in 1937, it was the All-Star game, he took a hard line drive off his toe, and the toe was broken. Now, it shouldn't have been a career-ending injury, but Dean was rushed back into the lineup before the fracture was completely healed, and he pitched several games favoring the sore toe. That led to an unnatural delivery that seriously injured his pitching arm. The arm never fully recovered. Dizzy Dean's major league career was essentially over in four years. Even though he tried to play a little bit more in years after, he never was able to do it. Something really similar happens in the church when there are non-functioning members. The active members of the body become overextended and the effectiveness of the whole body suffers greatly. Even in the most insignificant member, like a toe, it is designed to play a vital role. The mission that Jesus gave before he left earth was really, really clear for his disciples. Go and make disciples. Hey, disciples, go and make disciples. It's not a mission that's only relegated to the pastor or to the church staff. It's not a a mission that's relegated only to those who are exceptionally gifted in one area or another. It's a mission for every single member of the body of Christ. And I hope that you are engaged as a part of that body. 
And if you're wondering, okay, how can I become more engaged? Or how can I become engaged to start with? Then come talk to me or one of the pastors afterwards. If you're a church member yet you're not engaged in any way, then I believe repentance is necessary because you are in direct contrast to the Word of God. I want to ask you to stand, and while you stand, bring your Bibles with you because we're going to read. Out, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture as we stand and get ready to close our time. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And I wanted to end with this passage today because it's God's instruction through the Apostle Paul to the church that I believe that we should, should uh, model. It's an encouragement, but it's also instruction. So I'm going to pick up reading in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Amen.